Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host, Bruce Kelly, is not available this week, so I'm going to go solo. Hopefully, I can I can manage without my counterpart. I uh, have a, a great guest this week, Cody Garrett of Measure Twice Financial. I've been talking to Cody uh, over the past few months, I'd say, more frequently. We talk a lot about what he does and how he does it. It's an advice-only financial planning operation. And I think I'm going to let Cody kind of tell you how he does that and how it works. And then we're going to we're going to pick his brain a little bit about how uh, how running a financial planning firm without managing client assets works. So with that, welcome, Cody. How you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So tell me about this. We can go. Let's go into a little bit of your background. How did you launch this firm, Measure Twice and Measure Twice Financial? And I just want to tell tell people I, I think that's a really cool name, but I'm not <laughs> sure people who aren't familiar with woodworking really understand what the concept of Measure Twice means. You want to you want to lay that down for us? Right. So the term really comes from people say Measure Twice, Cut Once. So when you're doing any type of you know carpentry work or you're really doing any type of building something, you want to make sure before you cut that piece of wood that you've measured twice to make sure that you didn't make a mistake the first time. So measure twice. My brand is is really focused on helping people. They've already measured once. So I'm helping them measure twice in terms of really aligning their money with what's important to them. Tell us about your background. How did you get to be, uh, how did you How did you launch this business, this advisory firm? So I started in the business as actually as a career changer. I had a 10-year career in professional music and I switched into financial planning because I just loved really going deeper into the technical sides of financial planning. And my first job kind of got lucky in terms of a career changer. Uh, my first job was an independent fee-only RIA. Uh, we did we had three lines of business, which was um, individual wealth management, you know, household wealth management under the AUM 1% model. Then we also had 401k and other retirement plan uh, administration. And then the third part of business was flat fee financial planning. So I worked there for about two and a half years as I was working there. I had this sense of urgency to share what I was learning with other people, especially within the financial independence community, uh, which is primarily who I serve right now. And these are, this is a community of DIY investors who they love to, you know, they love to learn as much as possible about personal finance and really figure out like which parts of the education aligns with their, their unique situation, but they want to implement those decisions themselves. So I was creating content for that community kind of not really to find clients, but ac- kind of with that accidental quote unquote marketing um, within within about six months of just providing free education to those um, communities through Facebook groups by, primarily, I received about four to five prospective client inquiries per week. How does your business work now? What's the, what is, what is advice only actually mean? So advice only financial planning is fee only comprehensive financial planning without any delegation of implementation. So not only no no implementation of client investments, but really no obligation, expectation, or even the option to do that. So even on my form ADV, um, I can't manage any client investments, not because I'm not registered. I am licensed and have a series 65, but I've just been intentional and decided that I only want to do financial planning and not do any forms of implementation for the client. Okay, just to be clear, when you say implementation, that's just portfolio and investment management. That doesn't mean you're not going to implement something related to researching a will or refinancing a mortgage or something like that, right? Yeah, that's really where I kind of see the line is that 
uh, when you talk about the analysis, like the process of making recommendations and figuring out what to do, like what to implement, I consider that financial planning. But once we get to the recommendations on what I believe they should do, whether it's draft estate documents, um, whether they need life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care, funding needs. So I, I do all the planning with them collaboratively, but the implementation of those recommendations is solely on the client. So I can help a lot. I can help them find professionals in other spaces, whether it's finding an estate planning attorney or helping them find an insurance broker to to do you know to run some quotes. But I really provide financial education, really personalized financial education and advice. But it's up to the client to ultimately implement those. And that's one of the funny things about our industry is when we talk about implementation, we we usually only focus on the investment management because that's often how the advisor is also compensated, you know, based on those assets under management. Um, but since I uh, since I don't manage any client investments, all forms of implementation, including the investments, are done solely by the client with my help. If a financial advisor that is who is not advice only, who does manage client portfolios, they're also doing all of these other things, all these advice only things that you're doing. Does that mean that they're working twice as hard as you? <laughs> well, I, I think that um, most financial advisors that do manage investments, um, we can kind of especially see where it's going, even on the retail side, is that it requires a lot of time, temperament and talent those are the three T's I talk about with clients. It requires a lot of time, temperament, and talent to figure out how to invest, right? Like, you know, which type, what's the asset allocation that we need? Like, what objectives are we trying trying to align with the investments risk and return metrics, right? That takes time, but the actual implementation, like the clicking of the buttons to, you know, buy something, sell something, transfer assets from one account to another. Uh, I, I mean, I, I won't say that a monkey can do it, but really, that's not that's not really our highest and best use as as advisors and financial planners. So now that um, now now that consumers, retail consumers, can really implement financial management, uh, financial uh, investment management, literally on their phones now. Um, I, I just um, I just believe that that's not the highest and best use of my time. Um, and really, I, I I provide the clarity and confidence for them to implement that themselves and teach them. It's kind of like teach a, you know teach a man to fish in a way. Um, rather than them relying on me to be in control of their financial implementation, I really I empower them with the education to do it themselves moving forward. Do you ever uh, find yourself uh, getting clients from advisors that that I guess that clients who left advisors that were managing their portfolios, or do most of your clients come from are they do-it-yourselfers? Yeah, I'd say about a third of the financial planning clients I've worked with are actually. It's it's kind of ironic that they're they currently have a financial advisor that they you know pay and work with, uh, but they come to me and say, hey, like I need you know I have my investment management covered right by an advisor, but I need things like hey I need to figure out when to claim social security and I need to like some look at my tax like tax planning and insurance planning and estate planning. They, the the number one quote I hear is I don't know what I don't know, and. The ironic part is that they're currently working with an advisor who claims to do all of those things, but since yeah. but since their sole compensation is is aligned with the investment management portion, they don't necessarily focus on all of the other parts of the financial planning. Well, see, to me, that is so messed up because that means there's clients out there that are paying two different advisors for something that one advisor should be able to provide. Absolutely, I and I there's a quote I use all the time in terms of the fiduciary standard, which is to provide advice in someone's best interest, you have to first understand their interest. 
So if somebody is managing investments, but not looking at the, there's about 25 topic areas that I cover in financial planning. You, you really can't provide even the investment management advice if you don't understand um, a client's comprehensive financial ecosystem. So yes, I think anybody, whether whether they call themselves an advisor or a financial planner, they should be covering these comprehensive topics, um, especially if they're being compensated, uh, especially if they're claiming to um, to provide that service. Yeah, and if their clients have to go elsewhere for those services, then they're definitely falling short. Right. Um, that to me is scandalous. What What are your fees, Cody? How do you charge your clients? So I wanted to be both transparent and simple with my fees. Uh, I wanted my service process and fees to not be a big part of the conversations I have with clients because I want to spend that time learning about them and their family. So I I charge every household the same fee flat fee for the same service and process. I charge $6,400 for a three meeting, three month process. And then after the three months, that client is actually no longer, um, you know, on my CRM, no longer a formal client. So I only do a three month process. Uh -huh. And then um, about um, about 80% of the clients I work with come back annually to do an update. Okay. Where do your clients come from? I mean, I know you said they're largely, or there are a lot of them are DIY, but how do they find you? You get a lot of referrals or do you do a lot of marketing? How do, they, how do you get clients? So my, my niche within financial planning is comprehensive financial planning for DIY investors on the path to early retirement within five years. So most of the clients that most of the prospective clients that reach out to me actually find me through some of the early retirement, like the, the fire movement type of Facebook groups on Twitter and so forth. So most of them find me through their own educational journey. They're trying to learn mm -hmm. a lot about their own finances and they find me along the way. Since you mentioned fire, I got to ask you, are those people still around or is, is nobody thinking about retiring early right now in this economy? Ironically, um, people are valuing, not necessarily, so I, I call it, instead of calling it financial independence, retire early, I call it financial independence, recreational employment. Because what that really means, especially post COVID, a lot of people are realizing the value of flexibility, not necessarily retiring early, but working because they want to, not because they have to. So I think that that part of the financial independence movement in itself, I think is growing. Whereas the retire early part, you know, that's kind of waning in a way. I thought you were going to say financial independence, retire eventually. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, actually, I, I align with that person who I want to be financially independent by 40. So I want to be completely work optional by age 40. I'm currently 34. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop working. I'm just it's when you're able to work, but not for a financial incentive, that changes the way that you, that you that you can work and provides more flexibility to be more of who you really are. How many of your clients after the three month engagement uh, come back to you for for follow ups or, or reengage for another three months stint? So I've been in I've been in business for myself for a little bit over a year and about 80 percent have come back when they do come back. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be the same amount of work. Right? The same service and process, but it's not going to require the same types of data gathering as the first time. So I charge I charge every household that comes back 75% of that initial cost. So 6400 for the first comprehensive plan and then 4800 when they come back. What about the, the idea of the value of your firm? This is a little bit off the kind of the trend that we're talking about right now, but or the thread that we're talking about right now. But you know, I talk to a lot of private equity investors, a lot of these uh, aggregators and consolidators, uh, basically a giant industry out there buying up RIAs. And they say that they they can't value 
firms that don't manage assets because there's it's just too difficult. What do you does that bother you or concern you or do you think about that? I mean, it would only be a factor if you were considering on, I guess, selling your firm. Right. right? Which you've only had for a year. Yeah, I think that's just like an adaptation of valuation. So I think that that's been solely focused on, I mean, in, in a way, um, I mean, it's been solely focused on assets under management as just like an easy metric to look at in terms of like, hey, I want how much money would be moving and how much cash flow can we get from that? But in, in the same way that they look at cash flows in terms of AUM, like right now, I have an in, I have an incoming prospective inquiry rate of about twenty clients a week, so I, I I actually have a demand of about six million dollars of annualized revenue right now that I'm I'm referring away for free because I I really believe in generosity and transparency within the industry. But I think that if somebody came to me in terms of valuation, the the value of my company is not the assets under management; it's actually the brand and the demand for my services. Twenty, you said you got twenty incoming calls a week for people wanting to work with you? Yeah. So as of January of this year, I received about 20 client inquiries per week. I've on my website, I actually, I refer all clients away on my website so that I, you know, I don't have to spend as much time doing one-on-one referrals to, but if it, when somebody goes to my website and says work with Cody, I put all of the advice only referral, uh, the other planners that, that have a similar service and process on my website. So I can avoid spending as much time in that area. You said that your clients are I know we keep going back to this DIY. Are they generally younger, older? What's the what's the demo? Yeah, so I, it's funny. I thought about this today. About um, about fifty percent are in like you know between like fifty and fifty five. Um, the rest are like you know thirty five, forty five, fifty. The, I, if I squeezed all of the clients together, they'd be age fifty two with two point five million dollars investable. Uh, with income of, of around $250,000. Why do you think more advisors don't do advice only? Well, I, I think the, the first part is they assume, they make the false assumption that DIY investors don't want their help. So why should I Why should I market to people who don't like me to, get, to begin with? <laughs> so I specifically, I actually work with the anti-advisor community in a way. And I'm actually, one of my passions is helping to educate them that even as a DIY investor, you can you know you, you can r- really see the value of personalized education through working with a financial planner. And most of them don't also don't work with this type of client because they see financial planning only as a loss leader. They see it as gateway to AUM rather than like a like a valuable service in in and of itself. So there are a lot of financial planners and financial advisors who say, "Hey, we do AUM and we also do flat fee financial planning." But what I found is that most most advisors who offer standalone financial planning, they really just see it as more of a marketing tool than something that's valuable like by itself. Yeah, I mean, you know there are financial advisors out there that have multiple fee models. Have you ever considered very offering a variety of different ways to serve clients or are you kind of happy and sticking with what you're doing? You're you're sixty four hundred dollars for, for three months until you raise your rates. Yeah, I think I think it comes down to a few things. One is I define everything and I do in my business based on who, like who I serve and how I serve. So I've been very intentional about serving that specific specific niche with only project based planning. I I really value I really value the flexibility of my life right now. Like I don't have a phone in my business because when you don't manage investments, you, there's no such thing as a financial emergency in your business that needs to be kind of resolved same day. So I work about ten hours a week in this business. I have two other businesses under the Measure Twice brand, and I've just been more intentional about building a brand rather than just building a firm. Uh, speaking of financial emergencies, the market's been more than a little rough this year, the financial markets. Mm-hmm. Is it your experience 
that you're not getting as many client inquiries as uh, some advisor that manages client assets might be getting? I, I think kind of the, the opposite. I think a lot of people who are working with financial advisors who manage their investments, they're starting to question what they're getting. And not necessarily, I, I mean, a big part of this um, is like, I, I don't believe that the value of financial planning is positive, you know, perfectly correlated with the with the market. I think that's one of the issues with charging for financial planning using an, uh, you know, an assets under management model. But right now, actually, a lot of people are reaching out to me right now because they are working with an advisor, but they're saying, hey, I work with an advisor, but like all my account value, like, my accounts aren't doing well. Like, are they even doing their job? And it's not that the, it's not that the investments, I mean, the investments are a, a really important part of their financial plan, but if they don't know why they're invested a certain way, that actually speaks about how the advisor isn't, they aren't doubling down on personalized education. They're just, they're seeing it more of the transactional, you pay me, I manage your investments rather than a collaborative relationship. So people are looking for empathy. They're looking for transparency. They're looking for a, really a conversational type of planning, uh, especially during times of volatility. Right. But what I was asking is, it would be hard for one of your clients to come to you and say, hey, the markets are down, my portfolio's crashing. Mm. You know, Cody, you're you're really you know you got me upset here because <laughs> yeah. you're not doing any of that stuff for them. Well, right? Yeah, th it's it's funny that I, I believe that there's this there's this bridge between risk capacity and risk tolerance. So risk capacity, the objective ability to take risk, and then the risk tolerance, which is really like the emotional behavioral side of investing. I educate every client that we're going to in, align their investments, return and risk and return expectations with when they need the money. There's this concept of aligning your money, you know, thinking about your money in terms of time, giving every dollar a job and a use by date. Since I proactively educate clients on exactly how they're invested and exactly why they're invested that way, there's a lot less anxiety and confusion because let, let's say that somebody doesn't need, like they don't need this money for 15 years from now. Like they shouldn't be looking at their accounts every day. It's just like ba baking a loaf of bread and opening the oven every five minutes to make sure it's baking. So I, I educate every client on how each part of their portfolio is aligned with a certain time horizon. And just by doubling down on that education, and, and since I only do financial planning, you know, that's all I spend my time doing is it's personalized education for a client. So I've, I haven't had people reach out and say, hey, what you told me to do isn't working. Because, um, I mean, because again, their money is aligned with their life rather than their money being like somehow like, you know, separate from their life. What what kind of marketing do you do? I know I, I know you said you get a lot of referrals, so maybe you don't feel like you need to do any, but you must do something to get your name out there, right? Right. You do podcasting. You do. Oh, well, this is a podcast. You do. You <laughs> do blogs. Do you do? Uh, you know, are you active on social media? What kind of stuff are you doing? So I've used social media, but um, kind of the the ironic part about it is uh, I've used social media to share educational content using generosity. I've, I've never used it as a strategy to find clients. It just happened to turn out that way. So when I was creating content, I created content about you know, over six months, just engaging in conversations, never mentioning I was an advisor, just sharing educational content with people through like personal finance groups that I was a part of on Facebook already. And over, over doing that for six months, I was receiving four to five client inquiries per week. And it, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow, like I didn't actually expect to get clients from this. I just, I had a sense of urgency to help people. And that turned into kind of an accidental best way to market. Because you are, I mean, not you specifically, but advice only is kind of an outlier 
in the in the asset management in the financial planning space. Do you get any kind of blowback or feedback from the rest of the industry or other people in the industry that are charging clients based on assets? The first thing that they do, again, it's a limiting belief that they there's there's this belief. I think it's been something it's been taught within the advisor industry that DIY investors will inevitably fail without us, right? Like if if we aren't if we aren't holding their hand through every moment, they were they will inevitably inevitably fail. Ironically, a lot of those same advisors won't won't take on a client, you know, won't work with a client until they have a certain amount of assets. So, you know, they say, hey, like come to me when you're like, hey, like I won't work with you until you're successful enough financially, but yet they don't believe that they can be successful by themselves. So um, there's a there's a whole spectrum of delegators and DIY or you know, delegators and validators, you know, DIY investors and the delegators have been served very, you know, a lot. They've been served, well, at least the, the high net worth delegators have been served really well by the industry over time. But there's this whole spectrum of validators, people who want to, who have, again, the time temperament and the talent to click the buttons, but they want to work with somebody on more of a comprehensive planning arrangement. So this is very new to the industry. I think most people, again, change is hard. Uh, second to that, when people some some advisors have told me that this is like a threat to the industry. Like you're you're taking my clients, but I only believe that something's a competition if you're copying somebody else. So we're we're specifically serving different people differently. So I I really don't see there's really no competition between what I'm doing and what an AUM advisor is doing. I'm fascinated by it. I love the advice only concept, and I as I've said a number of times that I think anybody who has basic math and reading skills in 2022 should be able to manage their own investment portfolio. I mean, think about most of us are doing it already with our 401k plans. It's it's kind of that easy if you are paying attention and you do want to put the time in. But obviously it's not for everyone. There's a whole market mm-hmm. out there of people that want to put it on somebody else's shoulders. And that's why that side of the industry is bustling as well. Two more questions for you. Sure. One is, what do you think is the biggest challenge of your business model if somebody else was looking to to kind of follow suit? I guess it's kind of like turn a weakness into a strength, which is the demand outseeds, you know, exceeds the supply. I think the biggest issue I'm having right now is finding enough financial planners with a similar service and process that can serve the growing demand for this model. Um, and I guess the, the other downfall would be, you know, if you, uh, yeah, if, if, if your goal is to manage a certain amount of assets under management, like, this isn't your niche, right? Um, so I, I think it's if if these are the types of people you want to serve, like I think that you'll be wildly successful as long as you do it with, again, you're focused on generosity, transparency, and you know exactly who you and who and how you want to serve. If you do, I, I'm I'm really having issues right now finding that a lot of advisors they kind of want to be everything to everybody, but by trying to be everything to everybody, you're kind of like doing a little bit of everything. You know, you're not doing anything specifically well. So. I think if you're going to be a financial planner, be a financial planner. If you're going to be an investment manager, be an investment manager, but don't try to wear all the hats, you know, kind of figure out your own highest and best use. And then finally, what is the biggest opportunity or advantage of your your business model, the advice only strategies? So I'll talk about the, you know, the advantage for the clients and the, you know, the health, the families I serve and the, the advantage for me as an advisor, as a business owner for the clients, like this is exactly what they've been looking for for a long time. They say, Hey, like, like I, I, I love, like I love to be independent and make my own implementation decisions, 
but I just want somebody to kind of like stand aside, like stand alongside and guide me. So they can finally have the guide that they've been looking for. A lot of people have said, Hey, I wish I knew your service. You know, I, I wish your service existed 20 years ago when I started using a different type of advisor who didn't serve me well. The second part is for the business owner. So again, the only forms of communication in my business are email and video calls. I don't have a phone in my business. Um, I have full control over my time. I take off since I don't do any ongoing uh, services, like ongoing monthly subscription type of service. Um, I take off December 100%. So not only do I like, kind of turn off my you know phone or you know uh, figuratively, right? I'm kind of like out of bit. You know, I literally have no clients in December, which can be scary for some people in terms of sustainability and profitability. But again, when when you have twenty when you have twenty prospective clients, like you know, I actually had fifty three people on my waiting list. I just referred all of them away because I want to I want to intentionally spend less time in that business so I can have a greater impact in other places. So the greatest opportunity right now is people want it, they just don't know what it's called yet, and they don't know that, like that you're available to help them. Why December? Curious. Where do you live that uh, December is the best month to take off? <laughs> um, December is more about just that idea of re- reorganizing for the coming year. It's not actually like a, you know, I don't like to travel very much. It's not that we have lots of big Christmas travel pl- plans. It's that December is a time where, yes, you, you know, you can do some family things, but um, it's it's mostly the end of the year is a great time to kind of restructure your life. Say, hey, like I want to be more intentional going into this new year. It's not quite like, you know, New Year's resolutions type of things, but physical, mental, spiritual, relational, financial wellness. I like to really make an intentional plan for each of those areas. And and December is just a great time to kind of sit back. And it's also another time where, again, people are busy, right? So while everybody else is busy, I'd rather like just kind of turn off the lights for a minute and reestablish what I'm doing, especially with three businesses. All right. Good stuff. Really interesting. Uh, I hope our audience got a lot out of that and learned that uh, you don't have to be managing assets to be a successful financial planner. Uh, Cody Garrett, Measure Twice Financial. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. uh, Thanks for listening to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We're going to get Bruce back here next week. And in the meantime, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Benji Writer. Bruce Kelly is on Twitter at BD News Guy. We want to thank our producer, Angelica Hester, for making us sound great all the time. And we hope to see you next week. Bye.